This is episode number 44 of the Abuse Talk podcast. Welcome to the Abuse Talk podcast. My name is Jennifer Gilmore and I turned my pain into a purpose. I'm an author and advocate for women in abusive relationships and believe that together we are louder. Each fortnight, there is a new episode on the Abuse Talk podcast featuring a series of interviews with those that work in the domestic abuse sector, getting an inside feel for what it's really like in their job role and sharing it with all of you. There's also a chance for you to join in with a conversation. By leaving a voice message, head to our website and go through Anchor. Share your thoughts. In this episode, I speak to AJ Patterson. She has over 16 years worth of experience of working in the domestic abuse sector. And we talk about something that hasn't been covered yet on the podcast and that's support within the LGBT community. So um, I hope you enjoy it. And she shared um, some fantastic resources, which um, hopefully you'll be looking into as well. But before we get started, I want to say a big thank you to Rockpool. They deliver trauma-informed programs across the UK and you can find out more at rockpool.life. Also, a big thank you to patrons Susan Rahima and Katrina Hay for your continued support. You can find out more at patreon.com forward slash Jen L. Gilmore on the hashtag tier. I think I might be closing this one as we're opening for general sponsors now. So um, do get in touch with me, contact at jennifergilmore.com if you would like any more information on hashtag abusetalk and how you can sponsor it. Right, let's get into that interview. That's the most important thing today. Hi, AJ. Do you want to let everyone know a bit about you? Yeah, sure. So, yes, my name is AJ. I'm known as AJ. Um, it's, a, it's a nickname, actually, because my, my actual name is Angela, but um, it's a nickname that someone gave me years ago, and it's just stuck. So, yes, yeah, so I, um, I, it was so nice to connect uh, with you, and thanks for the invite to Clubhouse, um, because... <laughs> Yes, my, my passion is kind of um, domestic abuse. I work in, in that field um, or any forms of abuse, because obviously there's lots of different forms of abuse within um, domestic abuse relationships. Um, my background kind of is, is directly working with uh, women mostly. So mm-hmm. um, a big advocate in terms of violence against women and girls, but also uh, work um, with the LGBT sector of, um, of, of domestic abuse as well, because we know that domestic abuse happens there as well. Um, so um, yeah, I was involved in a, a, a gay, bisexual and trans um, refuge um, a number of years ago, uh, which we set up. Um, and and kind of previous to that, I've kind of been in the, the homeless sector. I've always felt very passionately about that from a very young age. And my mum used to kind of, um, and family, we used to go out to kind of um, support the, those kind of people. Um, and also um, in terms of domestic abuse, I, I worked with refugees uh, back in the early 90s. And that's when I, it, it first dawned on me. And it was kind of named as domestic abuse because some of the people I spoke to had fled their countries because of that. So I think that's just a little synopsis of just, why. Just a little, just a little just synopsis. A little synopsis of what, exactly. Um, and in, in other news, <clears throat> I'm a sports fanatic and uh, a songwriter. So those ah. things. 
I think I'm, I'm learning something new all the time. So this is great. I absolutely love this. So um, obviously you've gone on a journey. So I'd love to know why you first got involved with, you know, domestic abuse and potentially working within the sector then. What sort of called you to that? Yeah. So um, I, um, I was working for um, the YMCA, um, a big hostel um, in Brighton, um, in 2001 to 2004 um, and my partner at the time um, actually worked for um, a big organization who support people um, who are fleeing domestic abuse and they needed someone temporarily to kind of come in so I went for an interview and they just needed someone for four months and I was very passionate about the subject but hadn't kind of been in the field and I think you know just right. because of the background um, and um, so I went there for four months obviously that four months turned into, uh, apart from breaking the middle, um, yeah, 15 years of working in the field. So it was through someone else. And it, I've always been quite kind of um, tried to, you know, because of personal experience, so I tried to have my finger on the pulse of kind of what's going on in, in that world and getting involved in different things and speaking up about it, because we know that a lot of kind of abuse is shrouded in silence and it's really important that we keep talking about it so as others are experiencing it and um, know that they can kind of come and talk to their communities and go to services to kind of get the support that they need yeah I mean it, it's really difficult isn't it because I'm assuming you've seen a lot um and been involved in a lot of um cases and oh, I find it so difficult um, personally to hear the multiple amount of stories and then almost feel like nothing is changing. Um, mm. And it's really sort of recognising the behaviour, isn't it? And working out that this is just a form. It's not just a form of behaviour. It is a form of behaviour. And it's almost like my ex sounds like somebody else's ex they all sound similar and mm. I think uh, for me recognizing the behavior element really helped me because I was feeling quite personal about it but if it wasn't personal then you know people wouldn't do what they're doing today in terms of talking about it raising awareness mm -hmm. and it you know it sounds like you've had a, a similar kind of journey in terms of you know been involved in you know different projects um and I'm really interested as well in the LGBT side because we haven't had anybody on the podcast linked to that um obviously things have changed as a society perhaps from when you first started out in the domestic abuse sector to how things are now um and I wonder how you how you found those changes then as a whole yeah so I think it's really important to say this, and I think it can be, it can make, it can, let's just be honest, it can kind of get people's backs up a little bit. When I talk about that violence against women and girls is that women are more likely to experience domestic abuse and kind of constant domestic abuse within a relationship um, statistically. Um, but I don't want to, when I say that, I say that because I'm passionate about it, not because I don't believe that it happens mm. to because of course I do um, and I've had many conversations with people over over the years when I tell people what I do it's kind of sharp intake of breath and oh that's really lovely you work for a charity to what about men I hope that doesn't sound too controversial but that those are the two responses mm. and it is so important to know that I've worked with men in the um, who are gay 
or bisexual or trans who've experienced domestic abuse. Um, I'd say that there's some unique things that happen within those um, relationships well. So kind of like outing people when they're not out to their family or using that as kind of a, um, a way to kind of continue to control someone. Um, you know, um, and sometimes uh, the response that people get from, for example, um, the police, and just, just to kind of say the uniqueness about it, it's like, oh, it's just, you know, it's a couple of guys or it's a couple of friends who are women and they're fighting. It's just like, no, it's an intimate relationship and domestic abuse can happen within that as well. So um, I think that, I definitely think that there is, um, Gallup is a wonderful organization who are really championing this. They, they deal with hate crime and also uh, people experiencing domestic abuse. So um, I think that the kind of diversity and equality, um, I think that we, we need to mention this because we've, I guess, you know, as a LGBT person that we can be quite, um, uh, you know, it's like about a man or a woman, but it's really important to bring in that there is some unique things that happen for the LGBT um, people as well. I hope that explains what I'm trying to explain. Yeah, I mean, you know, we can look at behaviour as a whole, but it can be that specific. And even though we can say domestic abuse, you know, um, from a male perpetrator to a female victim can be very different to a female and a male. And I think there are quite significant differences, but under the umbrella of it all being the same type of behavior so what would you say I mean obviously you've mentioned about things like being caught you know putting pressure on maybe to call them out to their family mm -hmm. what what else would, would be a, a unique difference or what would be the signs for you know that LGBT side of things then yeah so um in terms of kind of um when someone comes out as you know gay or lesbian or, or whatever under the umbrella and um, sometimes when they're with a partner they, they might say uh, you know I'm not out to my family I'm not out to work they don't know about my sexuality so some people have well lots of LGBT people have said you know they threaten to out me to my family and to my work and um, so some of the other things were um, about hate people who have got HIV that's something as well that a partner uses that to control them. Say, so, well, if you leave me, then I'm going to tell people that you're HIV positive. And so, you know, like with the the power and control wheel, which we've talked about before, yeah. um, there's actually a power and control wheel for LGBT people. Um, and there's some those kind of unique things in terms of, you know, it's got all the different segments. That's kind of added as like an additional thing that people kind of experience. And of course, um, it's really important to say that outing of HIV as well can happen in, in heterosexual relationships as well. We've, right. we've had that as a pattern. So, you know, when you talk about those different kind of patterns of control, yeah, it's like adding those things as, as, as something that people experience. And I think um, training in that is so important um, to, um, to organizations to include mm. those things as well and the unique things. And so important to say, you know, when we talk about so-called honor-based violence, where, um, which is something where, you know, someone within a religion um, bringing shame, and I say that kind of, that, that it's horrible that someone would say that, bringing shame on a family mm. within the LGBT community, that can be an experience as well. And it might be that they're gay and they don't want to be in the arranged marriage. And um, yeah, and people who um, 
have experienced so-called um, honor-based violence. You know, we know that people have been, there's been homicides because of that. So right. it's, um, it's just good for people to kind of have those conversations as, as well, especially big organizations so that they know how to respond to everybody who's experienced domestic abuse. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel it's um, interesting that it almost crosses over and I didn't even consider that there could be links between that honor-based violence, you know. Um, and I also didn't know that there was a specific, you know, power and control wheel. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, have a look at that myself afterwards to check yes. it out because I think it's really important to continue to to learn and look up i'm assuming that would be on the doulith model is that the yeah yeah you know you go into the you google doulith model and loads and loads of uh, wheels come <laughs> up and there is actually a wheel um regarding uh, people who are lgbt so um yeah it's it's really important it's important to kind of it's important you know every everybody's story there are crossovers and there's certain behaviors but of course everybody's story is unique on a, a human level um, yeah. and um you know just as, as your story it's so i just want to say it's so amazing when survivors of domestic abuse share their story because telling stories is a way of it getting out there and actually maybe that making the difference for someone else to reach out so it's great what you're doing no oh thank you well um obviously I want to continue this conversation because it is you know it's it's interesting and it's insightful and I think it's important for listeners and um, viewers that are watching to sort of understand you know the differences um and you know obviously I've learned something new today already um so for anybody watching um, we're going to put all of the resources that we're talking about in the description of the podcast, the YouTube clip, and it will be in the show notes on the website. So just want to put that out there as we continue the conversation. Um, obviously, um, we were talking on Clubhouse, um, which I think was only last week, but it could have been a, a bit long. It, you know, time seems to merge in the world of Clubhouse. And for those who don't know what Clubhouse is, it is an audio chat platform where you can have conversations, discussions, tap into talks, and um, it is only at the moment for Apple users, so those with an iOS device. And um, I found out AJ wasn't on Clubhouse, so uh, <laughs> through a Twitter Spaces, <laughs> which is really funny. So I invited her over, and we've had a, a couple of conversations, really, haven't we? And one thing that came up um, was about the regions and the fact that um, we obviously were in the UK um, and you think in my head that it would be kind of the same rule in the whole of the UK but there are differences depending on where you live as to what support you can access so I kind of wanted to talk about that and I don't know what experience you have AJ but I'm happy to sort of share my personal experience as well and sort of get your thoughts and feelings over it as well. Yeah we talk about it being a postcode lottery within the field because um, you're absolutely right you know I work in, in Brighton and, and Hove which has got like such a rich kind of um existence in terms of all the different organizations that support people um and you know and in terms of domestic abuse as well um but if you're in another area that's as you say rural it might be that there isn't anything within that 
kind of town um, that would support you in domestic abuse. So, you know, um, a lot of organisations have kind of got postcode borders and someone mm. calls you up from a different postcode and it's like, well, we, we don't serve that area, which is really, which is really sad. Um, so I, I agree. I feel like it should be something that everybody should have access to. And just thinking about the rural areas, I feel like people can kind of feel a, even more isolated in those mm. areas as well. So I agree with you. I think that more needs to be done in terms of um, opening, opening up, having more, more services. Um, so I agree. And, and just interested, as you said, your, your experience of it. Yeah, I mean, um, so so just to give you a bit of background, I was living in Chester. That's where my home was. But when I fled, I fled across country to Hull, which is where I am now. And that's where my family, that's where I grew up. Um, and my risk level changed purely because there's that distance. So I went from, if I'd have stayed in Chester, then it would have been classed as a high risk because I'm near that person. Mm -hmm. But because I went um, and fled and went across country, it became a medium risk. Mm -hmm. Now, I was really lucky to get support in the local area and be able to access a domestic abuse support worker and go on any of the programs um, you know, available to me because I was medium risk. But in other areas of the UK, they will only support high risk cases. And I find that a really big struggle because almost I feel rather lucky to have received the support. And I know as a person that if I hadn't have had that the support that I have had, then I would have really struggled. And I'm not sure whether I'd be doing what I'm doing now, um, to be honest. So I find that a frustration because not only do we have this postcode lottery feeling, we also have that we're grading somebody's abuse. And obviously for me, um, it was predominantly coercive control. So that almost could fit into a low risk category. And as you and I probably know that they're the more dangerous type of abuser and they're the more likely one to murder their partner. So for me, even though we're categorizing a low risk, I almost feel like we shouldn't have that category of status. And if somebody did want to access support and services, they should be allowed to access it. So I don't know how you feel on, on that one or if you've got any experience in that, but I find that a real struggle, especially when people are asking me, what program did I go on? And they find out it's in their area and they can't access it because they're low risk. Yeah. Yeah. So listen, as a as someone who has worked, you know, worked directly with um, people who have fled cross boundaries, because we know that domestic abuse, a lot of people have to flee their area because it's not safe. And um, on a human level, um, I have to say that it, it it's something that I'm really aware of, and I, on a human level, I find it really difficult because. When a person is sitting before you and they're sharing their story mm. and we are using a tool to um and it's understandable we use a tool because it really does help us to kind of um kind of assess the situation mm -hmm. understand what's going on but for someone to feel that that um it kind of feels like you know belittles their experience um i do really struggle with that and there's lots of different kind of um 
tools that we kind of use to speak to people about domestic abuse because we know that there's a pattern you've talked about that but on a human level um i think that i have to be honest you know a lot of people have really struggled with the the the, the high risk medium risk low risk because certainly don't want to take it away from their story and, and kind of their truth and how they're feeling um i don't know what the answer to the, is that that to that is right now but i know there's lots of discussions about it because you know if that was me and someone was doing a risk assessment and and they were saying that i think i'd feel exactly the same so i think that we need to talk about it and i think we need to hear from mm. yourselves and others about how they feel about that and it's not the first time i've had this conversation about how people feel about that well i mean and, it's really interesting yeah you can't it, you can't so you can't get a service that is that's not okay we should be serving everybody the same and mm. there are places that i know around the country that do have um who do kind of uh, work with people who are medium risk mm. um but there's other areas that don't which is why we say it's a postcode lottery and it's it, it it kind of feels to me it belittles actually what's happening for someone and you know someone is so brave enough to reach out and talk to them about very personal stuff and it's just like well i'm sorry we can't work with you it's heartbreaking so mm. I think it's a conversation we still you know we need to keep having yeah I mean I, I think it's definitely a, an important one and I think if somebody is you know reaching out for for help and support and it's almost like we're meant we should be available to to give that support really um but you know that's me being personal I guess and and I know how far I've been able to come because of the support and even um when I was going through the family court system having somebody there in the the room with me so I didn't have to try and relay everything to my mom you know or my family to try it so that they could support me because obviously they're not allowed in it's exhausting so um I you know I find it really it's been a big part of my journey having that support and sometimes as humans um, especially for, for me and my part, I used to be a person that would not want support. I mm. used to want to try and do everything myself. I'd feel ashamed about getting support. And now I feel the complete opposite. It's almost like get the support you can, whatever it is, take it. Yeah. Because I think if I hadn't have had that again, I think everything would have slurred right down in my recovery process mm -hmm. so it's definitely something that I would like to continue looking at maybe knock some doors down and, and work out and maybe we don't need such a, a a low medium and high you know risk category maybe it's looking at the complexities and again it's just the same with the law isn't it it's yeah. meant to fit into x y and z and when you look at a domestic abuse it doesn't really fit like that it's not meant to it's meant to be hidden it's meant to be you know it's clever it's manipulative it's meant to sort of go through the loopholes and not get caught mm -hmm. so I do think uh, there's a lot to do and I'm trying to follow the conversations on this so feel free to send me any material <laughs> yeah no definitely I think you know it's really important to you know the most important thing to hear is, is the survivor's advice on that because you know um independent domestic violence um advisors advocates um you know we, we are advocating for people and standing alongside the person's kind of journey 
and I think that you know we need to also speak up about that and, and you know we are and I think you know it's so important to have these conversations we shouldn't shy away from them there's been some excellent stuff done in terms of you know um in terms of the tools that we use to work things out and I think people get that but I hear very loudly about the you know the crossing the border and and, and yeah kind of what you've talked you've talked about so I'm interested in, in having that conversation and hearing a bit more about that yeah and I think it's um it applies to not only the support but it applies to legal aid it applies yes. it applies to everything basically yeah. um, when you're looking for it so it's yeah. definitely something that needs to change um, and it needs challenging so yeah thank you for that it's no you know <laughs> it's good to sort of get it off my chest yeah, a little <laughs> nothing fits into a nice little neat box every everything is different you can't yeah you can't pigeonhole it because we're talking about human harm and the things that, ha that happen to people so you, yeah you just can't so I, I, I agree with you oh no thank you well um tell us a bit about um you know who you work for then um it was rise wasn't it yeah yeah so, so tell me about them yeah great organization called rise in in brighton and hove um, started off 26 years ago really grassroots um i think it started off as the women's refuge project um so yeah so i worked from them i've worked in lots of different um areas with them as i said I, you know i've been i worked as a health advert in a hospital which is great because sometimes there was a, an intervention there um the hospitals are trying to ask everybody that comes in especially if they've kind of got injuries is everything okay at home and uh, when they did that, it, you know, I, I was able to kind of uh, speak to people directly. Um, and I worked as um, um, an IDVA uh, independent domestic violence advisor, working with high risk clients. Um, I worked in the LGBT service as well. Um, and um, also um, kind of work in the kind of with the homeless sector. Um, so, yeah, so do a lot of outreach because I think you uh, you talk a lot about community yeah and into the community and having conversations in the community and when domestic abuse happens people talk to their friends and their family and people in the community about domestic abuse that's where it happens first and then it's about if people want support them coming to kind of us and sometimes it's hard for people to kind of walk through the door so that's why mm -hmm. you know a lot of organizations including ones have, have done outreach into the community to get conversations kind of going I think that's so important so it's all about community now because you know that when you look back at the history of domestic abuse and you might know this and I I didn't know it until kind of probably about five years ago that communities used to call out perpetrators of domestic abuse by going to their door and, and knocking on pans and saying you can't do this anymore and that was just like on streets in the community so you, that was that was the start of that kind of movement and then obviously 1971 um you know the first refugees kind of were, were birthed so it, it happened in communities so that's really important to me and i know that you're massive on that in in all sense in business in in kind of the social sector community is so important yeah and um you know funny thing is when when lockdown happened you know that, that changed quite a lot in terms of not just domestic abuse but um you know child abuse and all the different things like you know mental health issues and 
and and so many different things that came from that situation and I remember I did um a little talk I had a conversation with Sue Penner from Rockpool and I was just saying you know what why is it you know up to the victim to sort of get out what can what could we do in the community and I was thinking about neighbours you know and it I felt like it was more like an encouragement to report so if you are a neighbour there are things you can look out for so we started talking about what would the signs be as a neighbour? What would be unusual behaviour from that household? And trying to sort of give the community that opportunity to respond. Um, and I think some of that has actually happened. Um, yeah. And I spoke to somebody else from the New York Prevention of Child Abuse. Um, I've not I've not got the whole title right, but I'll pop it in the uh, show notes. Mm-hmm. And um, she was talking about how teachers can look for differences within their Zoom calls if they were having Zoom calls with their children and what to look out for. And I really just had this sense of, you know, it's it shouldn't be um, the victim's responsibility to get out there should be opportunities from neighbours, friends, from those, you know, perhaps there's a food bank coming around with parcels, what's changed, what's unusual, and looking out for those signs to be able to take action and do something about it, Um, because we don't know what difference that would make to that person's life. And I think, I'm hoping lockdown has given that sense of responsibility to the community in one way, but at the same time, I think there's, so, there's still so much work to, to do in raising that awareness. Um, so what would you what, what would you say to somebody who is, you know, what, they're not a domestic abuse professional, they're just they're a member of public, what, what, what should they do if um, they're feeling something isn't quite right with neighbours or with a friend or you know, it might not necessarily be domestic abuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would say if it if it's a neighbour, I think it is kind of always keeping their door open metaphorically for that person to to, to talk to them um, and, and maybe they're concerned. And neighbours to kind of um, think about, um, you know, like the National Domestic Violence Helpline that, you know, they, if they're talking to them and say, look, things aren't okay, that they can let them know about it to kind of give the person autonomy um, as as a kind of victim survivor to contact and to reach out for help. I think that's really important. Um, I think one of the one of the the, the, the tricky things, um, and maybe um, maybe you uh, because of, of your experience, is that when when someone calls the police, which I think they should do if they hear something dangerous going on it's really important to call them because someone could be in real trouble, but also we kind of get feedback that sometimes when the police is called, the, the ramifications for someone when the police kind of come out can be can be difficult. But I'd always say that if you think that someone is in danger, absolutely call the police. Mm. Apart from that, just be an open door for them to talk and say, I'm here, I'm present. There's some places that you can go to get help if you want that. And on a human level, that would be all I'd say is just be there, be present for them. So I hope that makes sense. But I think yeah, no, I'll- I like that. Be present. Yeah. And I think, you know, because we because we were talking about community, I think it was only right to think about what could we do as a community member almost. And mm. um, 
sometimes I think just because of my experience, I can see it online. I don't know if you've ever done, you know, seen this between maybe a, a friends and you're reading through messages and thinking, actually, this doesn't look right. And it's about what's appropriate as well. And sometimes we're in fear of doing, you know, it's all that, you know, that's their business, not our business kind of feeling between people. So I feel that hopefully lockdown in a way has broken that barrier for people. Yeah. Um, but I think we've covered quite a lot. We've, we've talked yeah. about <laughs> LGBT. We've talked about, um, you know, <laughs> restrictions on, on risk level postcode lottery. And we've discussed, you know, community and uh, how we can help people if we think they're at risk. So um, I wonder whether you you had anything else that you wanted to add to this conversation or maybe something I might have missed? Yeah, no, listen, I just think it's really important that you're having these conversations. And when and when we talk about kind of domestic abuse, it can kind of um, it can kind of be um, uh, it's important to kind of name it. But the other thing is, is like, I think we need to have more conversations about our rights in relationships and what's healthy, what's not. How do we deal with conflict within relationships? And I really am a massive believer in early intervention and that we should be discussing this in schools with, um, you know, age appropriate children, because that early intervention is really important. Um, and yeah, so that it, it would be, you know, it would be on a human level that message of like within community, if I was to leave you with anything is what I've said already, just be present for that person, be available, don't judge, don't try to fix, just be present and say, I'm always kind of here for you because I know that that's something that a lot of survivors have kind of fed back and say works uh, for them. Uh, to give them a bit of autonomy and the, the stuff that they want to do and also not judging people for kind of going back and maybe staying in the relationship because it's it's not easy to, to kind of leave a relationship and um, you know we know we know that you know you've got personal experience of that as well so just be present and don't be scared to raise the subject we have we have to talk about it no thank you so much and if anybody did want to get in touch with you personally are you open to speak to anybody um whether twitter or um any other platform um so i i would um i definitely like in terms of my professional heart obviously i work in brighton mm -hmm. but if people wanted to reach out and and i could um you know signpost and let them know where they need to, to kind of go to i'm always open for up for that and also always open to having conversations about healthy relationships and what they look like so yes for sure yes definitely so where can people find you then well so yeah so twitter is it's at oj patty <laughs> <laughs> so, um, that's where you can find me and you know people have reached out before and and asked me questions and i've always kind of signed person of course um you know i'm not on it you know 24 7 but yeah you know, any messages i'm happy to and obviously with your um with your website and some of the resources that you've got on there if you want me to send the stuff around kind of gallop um yeah. i don't know if you've got that on there already but for people who might be experiencing um kind of lgbt relationships where they're there um there's abuse um as well but yeah we need to have more conversations so i'm very open to that no, that's great. Well, thank you so much for taking your time to, you know, today. And it's been really lovely to put 
a face to a, a profile icon you know yeah, that's true I'm not just like still yeah. <laughs> I'm actually moving uh, next it'll be, it's like it's like 2d uh online and next it'll be three in person hopefully <laughs> oh hopefully fingers crossed this year we can all start going to events again and uh, I've really missed doing that going to events in the UK um for different reasons so yes bring it on let's hope that happens <laughs> well thank you and I'll let you go and I'll I'm sure I'll speak to you on Clubhouse soon yeah definitely there's no doubt about that thank you so much Jen once again a big thank you to AJ it was so lovely to finally meet her on Zoom um, after having those conversations on Clubhouse Uh, the next episode is on the 17th of June and I will be speaking to Edwina Clark she will be sharing her personal experiences of being in an abusive relationship and sharing her journey to how she's gotten to where she is today an entrepreneur and a mum and somebody else I've connected with on Clubhouse as well. You can find me on there if you would like um, at Jen L. Gilmore. I am the same across all social media platforms. And thank you for tuning in. If this has helped you, if you found this interesting, please tweet us, let us know, use hashtag abuse talk and we will um, respond to you and share your feedback. And also, if you are listening to this on Spotify, iTunes, Apple, wherever you're listening to it, we would love to read your feedback. So please do leave us a review and you've been listening to me jennifer gilmore author of isolation junction and clipped wings both are available to um, buy on amazon.com or on my website jennifergilmore.com